It's time for OWC Radio, Tech Talk with Creatives, conversations with host Serena Catania. Serena, how are you? I'm good. Hi, Tim. Welcome back to OWC Radio. It's such an honor to be invited here. It really is. <laughs> no, it's always fun. And I forgot to tell you, I really do want you to share a pizza recipe with us before you go. Don't let me forget that, okay? <laughs> You're on. Let me just introduce you for people who've had their head in the sand and may not know. You are the team leader for the Mac OS software for all of that at OWC. And you have been writing storage drivers for many, many years. Decades. Someone who used to work for me went to work for Apple. And he said, if you ever start writing storage drivers, nobody will ever let you stop. And I wrote my first driver in 86. And I think almost every project I've worked on has been a storage driver of some sort or another. <laughs> so he was right. I thought he was crazy, but he was right. You are doing a great service to all of us. What you do is so important. I want people to know more about SoftRaid. You recently did an update, but before we get into any of that, can you tell people what SoftRaid is for those who don't know? A RAID in general is a way of combining multiple disk drives. And in the early days of RAID, it was either have multiple disk drives where each disk drive backed up every other disk drive, so you have multiple copies of the same data, or you got super speed by putting all the data, spreading out over multiple disks, just like you can get many more cars down a four-lane freeway than you can down a simple country road. It was exactly the same thing. Each disk was like a lane on the freeway. It could take that many things going down at once. And once you had more of them, they were just going all at once. And the data was streaming through many different disk drives at once. And people realized that with that speed came a problem in that since the data got divvied up onto all these different disk drives, if one disk drive failed, you lost everything. Say so you have four disk drives, every fourth block would be zeros. It would be black on a video frame. So your data is unusable. So in the 70s and 80s, the people who were working on RAID and developing it came up with another algorithm where there was a checksum, if you will, stored on the last disk. So you had four disks. The first three disks had data. The last one has this sort of checksum. And if any of the other disks fail, you can go and recreate what was on them by taking the remaining disks and this checksum and mathematically computing what it is. And that's basically the fundamental part of what RAID 4 and RAID 5 is. And in 2014, we introduced the first, and as far as I know, the only RAID 5 and RAID 4 software implementation for macOS. And we've been shipping it ever since. And it gives us huge advantages because it uses the core processor in the Mac. The core processor in their Mac is so much faster than those little RAID controllers. We're able to use all of those cores in your 16-core Mac Pro. Even in your M1 Mac Mini, there's eight cores in there where you're able to use all eight of them at once. We use them for a little tiny bit of time, like 
100 microseconds at a time, but we use them 100%. We take over those processors 100% for that 100 microseconds. Now, it's small enough time that it doesn't cause any problems with audio drivers, with drop frames, with anything, but it makes us super efficient in how we use the processor, and it makes us super fast as far as how we can get that data out to the disk drive. Thank heavens for SoftRaid, because at the moment, I pulled out an old RAID array. There's four drives in there. And it's, I think it's a 24 terabyte. And I ran it a little bit and SoftRaid gave me a message that one of the four disks is gonna fail. All disks fail. All disks fail, yes. All disks eventually fail. So I have been saying since I started on SoftRaid many, many years ago, actually I rewrote SoftRaid for Mac OS X in 2001, I think 2002 is when we shipped. So I'm dating myself a little bit, but ever since then I've said that SoftRaid basically protects your data three ways. The first way is when you get a disk drive, we really encourage you to certify the disk, which is a process of writing out a pattern to the disk and then reading it back and making sure that all the data is correct. We recommend you do this at least three passes so that every single sector in the disk has been checked. If you think about it, these disk drive manufacturers to do like even a single pass on an 18 terabyte drive is gonna take more than 24 hours. So the disk drive manufacturers are not gonna have a huge factory full of all these disk drives and have them all on a rack consuming power. No, they'd much prefer just to ship those off to you and the 1% that's gonna fail, they'll have you return those and get replacements. It's so much cheaper for them to do that. The problem is if you're one of those 1%, you may have started a project on there and you may be three days into your editing and you're on a tight deadline, bam, your disk drive goes down and you have to deal with it. So what we tell people is certify your disk first, go through this burn-in process, and if it fails, you haven't put any data on it. So that's the first way we tell them that SoftRaid can protect their data. The second way is what you're finding now, which is that we have this great facility built in that uses smart data to monitor your disk drives as you're using this. I used to be a biochemist. I read research articles all the time. And I found this article by these Google engineers, I think the article's from 2006, and they had studied 100,000 disk drives. And what they did was they took the 100,000 disk drives in all of these server pods that Google is famous for having. And they looked at disk drives that failed. And then they've been collecting what's called smart data, which is the self-diagnostic data that disk drives have. They've been collecting it every 24 hours for all the disk drives. So they had a huge amount of data. They found a disk drive that failed and they called up the guy who was, or emailed him, the guy who was responsible, some server farm somewhere and said, what happened to that disk drive? Why did you remove it? Did it fail? Did you pull the server board? Was there some other problem? And if the drive failed, then they go back and they look in the previous months to see if any one of those parameters changed. And they found three that were predictive of disk drive failure. So I read this and I thought, gee, this would be something really cool to add to SoftRaid. And we actually put it in 11 years ago, one of the key features we put in SoftRaid 4. So this feature is the second way, it's the while you're using data protection. This is how SoftRaid is protecting you. It's flagging these disk drives because that disk drive that you have that says it's gonna fail, it's like 20 to 60 times more likely to fail in the next month or two than a normal disk drive. And when we go back and look at customers who say, hey, my disk drive failed, we ask them, 
Did software tell you that it was going to fail? And we find that for rotating media disk drives, 75% of them are predicted to fail before they fail. That other 25%, I'm still trying to figure out how to figure out that they're going to fail. But for 75% of the time, you can catch it before it actually gets us. That's a huge win for you. So you're sitting there, you're going, well, I should be really caref careful of this data. Maybe I should back it up. I certainly wouldn't use it in a production environment until I sorted this out. It's sort of like driving down the street with your car and you hear a flop, flop, flop sound and you that there's something wrong with your tire, like maybe it's got a little bubble on it or something, you're not going to go to three hour, four hour drive in that car. You're not even going to go on the freeway, but you can still drive to the gas station to get it fixed, get a new tire put on. It's not like you're stuck by the side of the road. So SoftRate is doing that same thing. And the last way that SoftRate protects your data is by using these advanced RAID levels. And that's the way that all the other RAID applications and RAID solutions do, which is a disk drive fails, you can pull the disk drive, put a new one in, but none of the other applications or hardware solutions offer those first two levels of protection that we do. The really cool thing about OWC, and this is why I love working with Larry and with the team, is Larry thinks it's worthwhile to actually do that certified step inside Woodstock, inside the facilities at OWC. So every single time we ship out four, six, or eight drive enclosure that's got drives in it, those drives are pre-certified in Woodstock. You go in there, there's stacks of 20 Thunder Bay 8s or Thunder Bay 4s, and they're just, the lights are blinking, and they're all doing a certify because they get certified before they get shipped out. No wonder they are so reliable. I always wondered about that, and I never knew they did it because I can tell you that I have had, and I actually took a picture of it, another manufacturer's raids years ago before I started using OWC, and five hard drives failed within the space of a few months yeah. of using them. That doesn't happen. Now, on one Thunder Bay 4, like I mentioned, one of the drives is projected to fail, but that's over many, many thousands of hours of use in a production environment. So I immediately backed it up, 16 terabytes. I backed it up and now I'm going to call OWC and find out what drive I need to buy to replace that. And they're great about it. They just ship it to me and I'll have it in a few days and I'll pull it out. The other thing that I love is you can ping the drive and you get this little flashing light that tells you which of the four drives is sick, <laughs> right? So have you noticed that the pinging on the little animation on the user interface actually corresponds exactly with the light on the drive? I spent many hours getting it so that it was synced up. So that when the light comes on and the user interface is exactly when the light comes on at the drive, because it's attention to detail that makes a difference. It does make a difference because what you don't want to do is you don't want to pull off the wrong drive, right? In theory, you wouldn't have to back up. You could just pull a drive and plug in another one. We tell people to, to back up just because they might, it might be late at night. They might pull the wrong drive. We have literally more than 100,000 users. And so I hear all the horror stories. And one of the horror stories I heard a month ago was someone pulled the wrong drive. It was late at night, they were rushing and they pulled the wrong drive that plugged in the other one and then the 
the drive that was actually failing failed. So we had to try and recover the data for them. But the best thing is if there's a drive that's predicted to fail, back it up first, then you have a backup copy. You may never need it. It may be like the spare tire in your car. You may never need it, but if you need it, it's there. This had information on two different films on it. So right. there's no way I wanted to lose the original <laughs> media. So I don't know. But also, I just realized, thinking about this interview and doing a little bit of reading, that you can actually validate your drive without, or is it verifying? Go through this with me. <laughs> the difference between certify, verify, and validate, and the fact that you can do this without damaging any of the information that's on the computer. So there are sort of three low-level disk things you can do and one volume thing you can do. So the low level disk things that you can do are you can zero a disk. So you can zero just the beginning and the end, which will fool the operating system into thinking it's a brand new disk drive. Or you can zero the whole thing out if you're going to give it to a, a colleague for work or you just want to make sure that there's absolutely no data from the old project on there. If you're starting a project, zeroing it out also leaves you in a state where God forbid, if you ever need to do low-level data recovery, it's much easier if the drive's been zeroed out. Certifying is what I said before. It's the process of writing out a pattern. At the end of certifying, the last pass is always zeros. So you again start with that case where the disk drive is completely flat and has no data on it. And it makes it really easy to figure out if something has gone wrong to do a post-mortem on it. Verify is just read every sector on the drive and make sure that every sector is readable. The cool thing about Verify is you can do it on a volume that's mounted. So we don't necessarily recommend it because it will make the volume go slower. If you have the app software application is trying to read from every sector on the disk and the volume is also trying to read and write to it, it's going to go quite a bit slower. But if you need to, you can. Validate is a volume only function. And what it does is it goes through in the case of a volume which has checksums and it recomputes the checksums and then just makes sure that what's stored on the disk is what's supposed to be stored as far as that checksum. So the first time you threw, there are lots of places where the checksum has never been calculated because you haven't written to that part of the volume yet. But after the first time, you can use it as a way of making sure that there's no data errors on the disk. It doesn't allow you to fix the errors, but you can see that your storage media is reliable. As we go to RAID 6 later in the year, that process of validating a volume will actually be able to repair disk errors. So for those of you listening who are thinking, oh my gosh, this is going over my head, there is a website that you can go to that explains all of this. So uh, can you tell them where that is? Yeah, SoftRaid <laughs> has a great what is RAID, what are RAID levels explanation. It was designed and written by this wonderful woman who used to work for me. She had her start in punk rock in London, and then she went and worked for DreamWorks, and she came to us and she was like the perfect combination of someone who's really technical and had really creative graphic ability as well. So she came up with these great uh, illustrations and descriptions for all the different RAID levels and actually how they worked. And I wish I could get a rack. I love working with people like that. I know. I need one of those here. Can you send her twin over? <laughs> <laughs> I do. So before we get too far into the new version of SoftRaid, can you talk to us about what's going on with M1 and the drivers and 
it's a real transition for us, like it was when we moved from PowerPC to Intel. Apple is moving to the ARM chip. I've always been totally in love with the type of architecture that ARM chip is called RISC. It's much more efficient. We're seeing that huge gain. My daughter, who's doing virtual college at the moment, says her old MacBook Air, she could do two classes. Now she can do the whole day, four or five classes during the day and never plug in the power cord. She is so happy. So that's one of the huge advantages. Faster processing is another advantage. And there was a certain amount of like, what does this mean for software? Because we have a driver in the kernel, right? And we are really, really tightly integrated with the kernel and the file system and any tiny change we have to adapt to. In actual fact, there was only one tiny change we had to make to the software driver to make it work with M1. The problem was it took us from June until November to get enough attention from Apple for them, them to tell us what that one tiny change was. Once I put that change in, we had a driver supporting M1 shipping within two weeks. And part of that is because we've been shipping this driver for almost 20 years. It's been so road tested that we have uncovered as many or most of the possible problems that you could ever encounter. So when someone says there's a problem with a software driver, I usually like take it with a grown salt. I want to reproduce it. If I can fix it, I want to fix it. But most of those problems were fixed. The RAID 5 software got shipped in 2014. So by 2016, those were pretty much completely ironed out. And I'm not one of those people who feels like, oh yeah, I've got to go change things, add new code and God, there's this new feature, blah, blah, blah. No, I want to write something once and I want to use it for as long as possible. There are parts of SoftRaid that date back to when I did the first Mac OS X version back in 2002. So there are parts of the driver that are back that far. It's really um, pretty phenomenal how much it stood the test of time. And that's a testament to the testing people, the Mark James, who does a lot of testing for me, the whole team here, and, and our dedication to getting it right, really getting it right. Those guys are awesome. I've been using SoftRaid for a long time and I, I use it to mount and unmount my drives as well. I can take a look and I can have a picture of everything that's attached, all the peripherals. I know what's happening with them. It gives me a health check. It's like doing that yearly visit to the doctor, but I love it. So what have been some of your interesting experiences in releasing SoftRaid? I want to hear about some of that. And I know we are going to get to SoftRaid 6, but I'm just curious. <laughs> the biggest sort of most humbling thing that happens, and this is, it's happened multiple times. And every time it happens, I get caught off guard. So here I am, I'm coding. I think, oh yeah, we're going to do like RAID 5 for eight drives and with 10 terabyte drives or something. And I'll test it. And by test it, I mean, our standard test routine is four machines, four days, at a given RAID level, constantly reading and writing. So we're talking about billions of IOs in that four days. And SoftRaid driver has to get through that test before I'm ready, willing to ship it. And we'll do the same thing and we'll do it with like, while there's a rebuild going on or while we're pulling and inserting and removing disk drives over and over. I wanna be able to do a thousand insert and remove disk drives while there's IO going to the drive before I ship a, a driver. I mean, that's the type of testing we do. So I sit there and I do this and I think, oh yeah, people are gonna be using this on Thunder Bay 4s or Thunder Bay 8s. And then usually Mark comes to me and he says, 
we have got a customer and they've got a question and say, well, what type of situation? Oh yeah, they've got 12 drives in RAID 5 or they've got 24 drives connected total. We use now SoftRate for the Excelsior Forum 2, which is a PCI card with four blades on it. It'll do six gigabytes a second, six. It's crazy. So I expect someone will buy one of these, put it one of them in their Mac Pro. No, we find customers with three of them in there. So they've got 12 blades all rated together as RAID 5. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really a testament to A, the fact that we tested it, but B, to the, the level of performance people can get and what customers expect. I'm not in the industry of creating movies, but then I hear, oh yeah, the, the sequel to this major blockbuster film, the guy editing audio for that film is stuck in some you know village in England with his Mac Pro and three Excelsiors and SoftRate. It makes you make sure that every time you do a change, you really work on it. We just came out with SoftRate 6. And when you do a major upgrade and you've been working on the code for a while, you're always nervous that there's something you've forgotten. It's like the first three nights, I, I don't sleep very well because I'm always fearful. I'm always like, do I have to go in there and make a sudden change? I think the worst problem we had was you couldn't paste the serial number into the serial number dialog. You actually had to type it in. So if that's the worst we could do, I can live with that. And we, we spun a new version three days later to fix that and one other bug. So we really work hard at testing and people say, oh, but you need to have this feature. You need to have this feature. Someone was complaining about us not having RAID 6 yet. They said, it's your marquee feature is the word he used. And I said, no, our marquee feature is speed and reliability. And all the other things come second because when you're editing your film, having like a, a cool looking icon or having some fancy color doesn't matter. What matters is that at four in the morning or three in the morning, when you've been working eight hours straight, you don't want any surprises. What matters the most is it keeps working and there have been no surprises. And nobody thinks to ask for that, but that's what everyone expects. And that's what I have to deliver. I love it. I don't feel comfortable without it. It's always got to be running uh, every single day. And I'm literally running a film and TV studio out of my home now because of COVID. Just crazy. And so you're continuously checking for errors. And like I told you, it's very rare with an OWC drive, but I have so many of them and I really put them through the test. Mm -hmm. So talk about the, these are cute little Sorry, I'm being such a girl. The blue, the yellow, and the red monitor lights. Oh, yes. Okay. You mean the, in the menu bar. Back in this time when I was like investigating, predicting disk drive failure, I thought we should really have a way of telling the user, warning, they're not going to be running software. Right? They may see a dialogue there. Like if you're like me, you see a dialogue, you hit the return button, and then you think, oh my God, what was that? Right? So we wanted a way that would just warn people what the state of their disk drive was, or their RAID array. And so we now have the software monitor, which is this piece of code that's always running in the background. It's your little guardian angel, if you will, sitting over your shoulder, watching your volume to making sure everything's okay. So that little indicator goes, is blue most of the time, the OWC blue. It goes yellow if there's something that we think you should look at. In your case, it's probably gone yellow because a disk drive is predicted to fail. It'll go yellow also if you're missing one of the drives out of your RAID 4 volume, meaning, or RAID 5 volume, meaning the volume's no longer protected against disk drive failure. 
If you start getting read and write errors, like the disk drive is not able to read or write a sector, that will go red. And that means, hey, you better get on it because you're really starting to lose data. When I first started doing testing on RAID levels, remember that one of the RAID levels was multiple disk drives, all with the same data. I wanted a way of testing that. Just sort of like, hey, is my code actually working? Does it actually fail over to the other drive? Is everything okay? So I did a version of it, which allowed me to inject errors. And the really striking thing was I would hit some magic keystroke. It would inject an error. I'd see that moving over to the other disk drive. The thing that amazed me was only about 20% of those errors ever resulted in a dialog box the user would see. So the other 80% were silent. You could be using Photoshop, you could be using Final Cut Pro. You'd think that what you read was fine, it wasn't. You'd think you'd written a file out to a file system and the finder never put up a dialogue, nothing, just Zippo. So that really influenced the design of SoftRaid. I wanted customers to be able to see when they got an error, not only through the red dialogue box, we save those error counts and they get written out to disk. So when even if you shut down or restart, when you come back up, you can see which disk has failed. When you look at the SoftRaid user interface, the pipes that connect the disk drive to the volume, if there's a disk error, that pipe is gonna be read, really highlighting which one is wrong. And more importantly, all this information gets written to this magic log file. It gets saved, it's called the software.log file. And it's got, it'll tell you what disk drive, not only what disk drive, what the serial number is, the unique identifier software writes out to it called the software ID, the name of it. We also allow you to label a disk drive. So you can say, hey, this is my drive in my disk drive box that I call spacecraft. So it's spacecraft slot one. So you can go and say, oh, it's spacecraft slot one. And that information also ends up in your log file. So not everyone's sort of a techie person. And Mark James, who I've been working with for many decades, who I love. Hi for me, by the way. He's my hero. <laughs> so he used to get screenshots of the software user interface. And this is back before we shipped Software 5. I thought, this is sort of silly. I should use the power of coding. Because I always think of writing code as this giant Lego set. And you're only limited by what you can imagine. If you can imagine something really cool, you can put the Lego blocks together to make the really cool thing. So what I did was I made it so that Mark could collect a file from the user, which we call a tech support report, and he could load that on his computer and see exactly what the customer sees. The error accounts, the connections, the names, everything. But not only that, it collects lots of information, but nothing that's sort of secret personal information. So it collects the software log file. It collects any panic or crash logs you have. It collects information about your hardware configuration. And lots of times he can debug problems or he can bring them to me and we can figure everything out from that one file. And as we go cross-platform, we're going to push towards having that file able to be generated on Windows and read on Mac OS by our customer support team. So your version 6 is cross-platform. Version 6 works with software for Windows. Software for Windows doesn't yet support the higher RAID levels. It only does 0 and 1 because the company that ODBC purchased had this really, in fact, this is how we found them. I shouldn't say we, Mark found them. Mark found them because they had taken the software driver and reverse engineered it so they could take a software volume and plug it into a Windows machine and have it mount. 
because they had reverse engineered the HFS file system. And I said to Larry, hey, Larry, we should really get this company because these guys know what they're doing. And sure enough, they do know what they're doing. They're really on it. So they now have software for Windows, but software for Windows includes the ability to mount an HFS volume. So you can have an HFS volume, plug it in on the Mac, and then unplug it, and then take it over to Windows machine with software for Windows, plug it in, and it just mounts. They're close to having the same facility with APFS. Probably by the time Software 6 has full APFS support, they'll have full APFS support, and you'll be able to take your APFS volume and move it over. APFS is the new Apple file system. Apple file system, it was introduced in Mac OS 10.13. It's really become the primary file system for Mac OS 11. Unfortunately, it still does not perform well with rotating media. I strongly caution people not to use it for rotating media, but it's really wonderful for solid state media. So, boy, there's so much here. I could keep you on for hours. You've got me for hours if you want (laughs) What's the name of that company, by the way? Media 4. Media 4, the number 4. So if you search for it, you'll you'll look for... Media, you know, it's F-O-U-R. So it's okay. all one it's word, all one word. You can get to it from the OWC website or search for Mac Drive is the name of the product. Great, great people, really nice to work with. And that's the other thing. You have all these accolades for software. It's not just me. It's not. The teamwork, it's the willingness that people have to help each other, which is one of the reasons I love working at OWC. If there's a hardware problem, we'll start investigating it. We're like little bull terriers. But if someone in hardware sees a software problem, they're going to do the same for me. They're going to say, and it's not like Nino, 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 you've got a problem. It's like, <laughs> hey, we're all part of the same team. Let's make this cool product even cooler. And I love working in that environment. I really do. Yeah, they're great people over there. But you're the ringleader on SoftRaid and you make the best pizza, which we're going to talk about before we leave today, because I know a lot of people were emailing me going, I want to hear what the latest pizza (laughs) is. Okay, this is a question for me. SSDs and SD cards. Anything new with that? The push in the market is to get larger and larger SSDs, be they NVMe blades or the SATA drives. I have both. Right, you have both. So the people want, they now want four or eight, soon there'll be 16. The problem is, as that happens, you either have to get much more expensive or much slower. There's really no happy medium in there. So people are going to start seeing, and they are probably already seeing much larger blades. But the key thing to check is what's the speed? What's the speed not only for a short amount of time, but sustained? Because if you're copying 100 gigs of video files, you don't want it to go super fast for the first gigabyte and then slow down to 200 megabytes a second for the rest. No, that's sort of useless. So one of the things to do is make sure that it's whatever you're buying has a sustained transfer rate. We are seeing much larger blades where, as I said, we have the Excelsior Form 2, which is four blades. Obviously, people, including us, are going to be looking at solutions with eight blades. The blades are now getting up to four terabytes in size. So you'll be having 32 terabytes on a single card in your Mac Pro, which is a lot of storage. That sort of brings me back again to this realization slash interesting comment about how our users use our product. I had always assumed that the Excelsior was just strictly for scratch and that everyone be running it as RAID 0. And I come to find out, you know, talk to one of our customers who I think now has 80 Excelsior Forum 2s, and they use them all in RAID 5 
which I found really surprising, but they have a company policy, all storage is RAID 5. So that includes the solid state storage inside their Mac Pro. So I know, for instance, that our uh, current implementation is sort of, it can get up to about 1.5 gigabytes a second writing on RAID 5. And one of my pushes over the next year is going to be to raise that. You can read at 6 gigabytes a second. You can write at 1.5. So I want to make that faster. Faster is always good. And I've gotten spoiled now with all, all these NVMe drives. and SSD. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I really have. When I'm managing big copies of large transfers, you can really feel the difference. I wanted to ask you because the last time we talked, SoftRaid wasn't able to, were they able to monitor SSDs or was it that once an SSD crashes, it's gone? SSDs, their one failure mode that we can see is that they start getting slower. And we haven't yet written code that figures that out yet. One of the other things that happens is they're sort of like car tires and that you can write them only so many times and then they're worn out. So we now monitor what that mount is and we'll warn you, one of the smart parameters tells you how much of that expected life is remaining. And when it gets down to 10%, we start squawking at you and telling you to replace it. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah, because I'm recording OWC radio on one of the Envoy Pros or Envoy Pros, and that thing gets a lot of use every day, every day, every day. And then I transfer to the Thunder Bays. But yeah, I probably I'm wondering how much longer that one's going to last. Yeah. So unfortunately, <laughs> ones that are connected via USB, we don't have access to that data. We're trying to work with Apple. We are not trying. We are actually working with Apple to figure out how to get the data out so we can start warning people about. Failure. Yeah, this is Thunderbolt 3. This one's mm -hmm. Thunderbolt 3. Yep. Okay. Well, let me know when anything happens and I want to tell everybody about that. Okay. So great. you mentioned something. I think you mentioned something about you were able to certify your SD cards. Yes. I'm a, I wish I could say I was a good still photographer. I'm not. I love it. It gets me out of my head. I've been recently, this last year during the pandemic, I've been taking pictures of found objects. So my family went down to Fort Baker right underneath the Golden Gate Bridge on a rainy day. And there was a pair of kids blue glasses in this mud puddle. And I took a picture of it because it just sort of, it just encapsulated this whole year of the pandemic so perfectly. And so I'm finding things on the street and I'm just taking pictures of them. And it sort of fills that part of my life that needs to be filled as opposed to coding. So it's like you use your brain, but there you got to use the other parts of you too, or you don't use your brain very well. So every time I go out, I'm going to do a shoot. I always certify my SD card or my CF card first. It just gives me this feeling like, can't remember the last time I used this particular card. I want to make sure it's reliable because I'm going to spend hours and hours setting up a shot, taking a shot. Some of the shots, it's that one chance and that's it. So I really want to make sure that card is reliable first. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't been doing that. I need to do that. I can put the card into my dock the OWC doc and just certify it from there. Exactly. I do clear it in the camera and then reformat it. Right. But, but that's just basically laying down. It's like, it's like taking a book and erasing the table of contents and writing new table of contents in there. Yeah. Yeah. It has nothing to do with the rest of it. So, so 
Talk to us about what we can see on our disk tile. Okay, so the disk tile tells you a lot of really interesting information about the status of the disk and also what firmware it is, whether it's got a larger sector size. There's this whole move to 4K native sectors. So it's got that information. It also tells you where that passed the smart test. If it's predicted to fail, like you're predicted to fail drive, if you open it up, it'll probably say X number of reallocated sectors. Even if there's one reallocated sector, we know that drive is more likely to fail. Well, I have a drive here that's got 20,000 reallocated sectors. And every time I use it, it's one that I carry around with me to every time I have to give a talk because literally in an hour of use, it will add 100 or 200 reallocated sectors. So that drive is not very long for this world. And that's sort of the granular information. So I'm always a believer in what I call progressive disclosure. So we start with just this disk has errors. And if you click on the little disclosure triangle, we double the size of the disk tile and it's got all the nitty gritty details you want. How many unreliable sectors it has, how many IO errors it's had, whether it's past smart or not. All that information is laid out there. If it's SSD, how many terabytes have been written? So you can look at that information and know exactly why we think that drive is not reliable. We're not making it up, it's all there. And if you're a real nerd and you really wanna know the smart parameters, there's an actual way to get that data from the command line. So you can look at a particular disk that we say, hey, this disk is gonna fail. And you can look at the actual numbers from the smart data. Well, that's interesting. I have everything on here. I've got some Thunder Bays, I've got an Aura. I have the Envoy Pro that I'm doing with the OWC radio. Yeah, there's all kinds of stuff on here. And I've disconnected a lot of my drives because we're talking and I don't want to use up too many resources. How many hours on a spinner before you start to think, hmm, am I really pushing this too hard? I'm looking, I've got almost uh, over 10,000 hours on. Yeah, I was going to say 10 is about the limit. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it is. I mean, what people always complain about, I say, how much is the stuff on that drive worth to you? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So what I've stuck with as recommendations over the last 10 or 15 years is 5,000 for a laptop drive, talking about a spinning drive, 10,000 for a desktop, 20,000 for a server drive. So the enterprise drives are pretty good for 20,000 hours. The desktop drives 10, the laptop ones get really beat up. So less time than that. And aside, just branching off a little bit from SoftRaid, one of the things I love about OWC is we really listen to customers. So we originally had, I'm trying to see if I have one on my desk. We had an Envoy Pro EX, which was the larger, pretty chunky piece of metal. People loved it. They said it was went as fast as USB 3.0 goes. It was pretty good, but it, people complained because it was a lug to put in your pocket. It was a big piece of metal. And so hardware engineers listened to that and they came up with this instead. So this is one terabyte. It's waterproof. It's milled from a solid piece of aluminum. Larry has a video of him driving his honking big SUV over it. A car I would never be caught dead in, but it must weigh it almost <laughs> two tons. And he sent it to me afterwards and I plugged it in and it worked fine. It's waterproof. What is there not to like? I sent one to my nephew and he was like so excited by it. Here it is, it's one terabyte. It'll go almost a gigabyte a second all day long. Memory inside is thermally connected to the outside so it doesn't get too hot. And it's got an activity line on it. What is there not to like? And then it just goes in your pocket. Right in your pocket. And which one is that? Is that the Envoy Pro EX? 
No, no it's called the electron. Oh, the electron. Okay. Yeah, the electron. I love it. I think it's a really fabulous solution. So this is one of many examples. And another couple examples I can point out is we've had people complaining about the fan noise. So we have this now, this initiative inside OWC to cut the fan noise on all new products. Oh, thank you. We're engineering them like the enclosures. We're engineering them to be quieter, like all sorts of ways we're looking at making things much, much quieter. Likewise, with having green packaging material, we have this initiative inside. How can we make the packaging material recyclable? So we're constantly looking at the details. And when I first joined OWC in 2014, I went there, I saw the big windmill, I saw the solar panels. And so often that type of stuff is just sort of like window dressing that the CEO puts on the company so he can attract people who are interested in green products. And Larry's not like that. Larry's, his commitment is really deep. It's not just like, let's put solar panels on the roof. It's let's look at every part of the organization and see if we can make it green. So they got rid of water bottles. They have, everyone got a, a water container and there's a reuse large water jug in the break room. I mean, there are just all these different things that we're doing to make sure that we're having a lighter impact on the earth. It makes me proud to work there. It really you know, does. I want to go to Woodstock too. And you should let me know when you're there. I'll meet you there. We should go and make pizzas for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking here. I have a one terabyte NVMe and two two terabyte NVMe's attached. So I'm using all kinds of stuff. And SoftRate is babysitting everything. Everything, yeah. Everything, everything. And I can now not worry about any of that and just keep doing my job. And if I need to pay attention to it, you'll let me know. I installed... The new version. I love the design, by the way, just the, the graphics. It's really nice and clean. And so I'm trying it out. And so far, it's just doing great. So is there anything else about the, I think it's 6.03 or something yes, like that? Yes, 6.03 is the current version. Anything else we need to know that's updated from 5, what we've been talking about? It works with the M1 Max. It's the first time we've charged for an upgrade in since 2014. So some people are complaining about it. I'm going, you've had seven years of free upgrades. You have no idea how many hundreds or thousands of hours have gone into testing new machines, the amount of time it took to add the M1 support just because we were constantly testing it, trying to make sure we understood what was going on. Every time there's a major change in macOS, we have to track it. And usually it's a really small change, but figuring out what that really small change is takes time. And then before I shipped the support, I wanted to test it. I wanted to run through our standard driver test. So there's a huge amount of stuff and there's a huge amount of new features coming in SoftRaid 6. So if you buy the upgrade now, you'll get the new features like full APFS support, like RAID 6 support. Now RAID 6 support is like RAID 5. It uses this checksum idea, but instead of having, say you have eight drives, instead of having seven drives of data and one drive of checksum, you have six drives of data and two drives of checksum. And what that means is you can lose two drives and still recreate all the data. I'm committed to making that fast and as reliable as what we have. And we're using the SoftRate engine, this piece of code I wrote, to actually handle all those complex calculations and transactions with the disks. We're using that exact same piece of code that we use for RAID 5 for RAID 6, which is why I know it's not going to have, require a huge amount of testing once it's working. So. I just had this line go, the marketing hat came on and I went, there's a war on your data and we've got your six. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's really good. Can we move over to pizza now? <laughs>
It takes quite a while to start up the oven. It's an hour and a half process. You start with a little tiny, what looks like a Boy Scout or Girl Scout campfire in there, and it gets a little bit bigger. And I learned from this woman who has been importing pizza ovens since the 70s. Now you're talking, for people who are listening though, this is an outdoor dedicated to pizza oven. So Tim is famous for his pizzas, for those of you who are listening in. This woman understands pizzas and pizza ovens like you wouldn't believe. I've taken a couple of classes up there. The first time I learned that I was using twice as much wood as I needed to heat up the oven. And the second time I, I learned like how to do a roast in there. I've done ducks in there. I've done turkeys, 23 pound turkeys. They'll do in about three and a half hours. Last weekend, I did a couple of steaks. I just, you build the fire in there, you pull the coals out to the front and you can do a inch, inch and a half steak. You can do it in two and a half minutes on a side end. It's just fabulous. So when I start the pizza oven, it's now a whole process. I'm doing vegetables as I'm starting, getting the oven up to speed. I know what order to do the vegetables in. So the asparagus that can't take very much heat goes in first, and the potatoes that can take a lot of heat, or the corn, which really needs the heat to not dry out, but just get the wonderful sort of browning on the outside, that needs the really high heat. So that gets it at the end. And then the pizzas go in. And usually I do the pizzas while people are sitting at table. So I'll do a couple. We'll sit down and have eat those and keep talking a little bit more wine, do a couple more. And a meal goes for hours. It's really wonderful. And then as we're sitting down and doing dessert, I throw in a chicken and the chicken takes an hour. And then after the guests go, I put in a loaf of bread. And then an hour later that comes out and then I put in one or two pots of beans and they stay in till the next morning. And I go out there with my cappuccino and pull those out. And our family four has roast chicken for the week, beans for the week. My wife and I both work pretty hard. So we try and have stuff Sunday night to last us for a couple of days. The girls, when they're hungry, can just go into the fridge and go, oh yeah, I'm gonna make myself a chicken salad or a chicken sandwich. And then there's a roast chicken in there that they can have. So it's really wonderful. It makes my life rich. Yeah. And you have a favorite flower still, right? Do you still use Because uh, we were talking, it's been a while since I've talked to you, but you were talking about your flower. Yeah. I use the flower from a place called Central Milling. It just so happens that they are just north of me up in Petaluma, an hour's drive away. And all during the panic, I made three trips up there to get flour. And i order it online. I pull up, I open my trunk, I get back in the car and they just, you know, literally I get 20, you know, 50 pounds of flour at a time because I'm making three to six pizzas a week and one loaf of bread a week. So I'll go through in five months, I'll go through 50 pounds of flour. So I probably made more than 1500 pizzas at this point. What's your favorite pizza as of today? There's a woman who runs a local or has just sold a local pizza place called Pizzalina. And she was so very generous to me when I was starting out in terms of give me advice. And her aesthetic was sort of like Alice Waters at Chez Panisse. She would go to the farmer's market, find what inspired her and make a pizza with it. So depending on the time of year, she would do like cherry tomatoes and a little bit of onion and a little bit of bacon and maybe a little corn all on one pizza. It was fabulous. So I'm not even close to her level, but I sort of try that. At least one of my pizzas every week is some experiment. Ones I've done recently that I'm really proud of are anchovies. People think of anchovies and they go, yuck, it's way too salty. 
But the problem is that people usually put a lot of anchovies on a pizza. And really what you want is four anchovies cut up into little tiny pieces evenly spread. So I do that and then I cut a lemon into wedges and cut the wedges maybe an eighth inch thick and put those little triangles all over the pizza. They're small enough that they cook through, but they're not so small that they dry out completely. Keep in mind the oven is 700 degrees. The pizza's in there for maybe a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. So things happen really fast. And anything that's going to get too hot gets too hot. So that's one of the pizzas I love. I've done asparagus with ricotta and thyme and also lemon in it. Another one, there's a pizza place in Winston-Salem where my middle daughter went to get her BFA called Mission Pizza. And Peyton, the owner, showed me this. He was, I walked in there and he was so generous. And I would go and sit at the bar right by the pizza prep station. And he would say, what do you want? And I would say, surprise me. So he did surprise me one time. He made this pizza, which was manchego cheese. And the way he made it was make the dough and then he put the cheese on it, and then he put crushed ice on and threw it in. And I couldn't get the crushed ice to work. So I just paint it with a, a basting brush, uh, like a barbecue brush. You paint it with water. And the, what you're trying to do is you're trying to keep that really dry cheese from getting so, so baked that it becomes like rubber. So by putting the water on, you just keep that part of the pizza cool. And then the crust cooks normally and what's under the cheese cooks normally. So you put it in there, it browns up, it gets a little bit cooked. You pull it out when it's almost done and you put grated fresh Parmesan on, a thin layer. That leaves maybe 10 seconds in the pizza, literally 10 seconds to melt that Parmesan. You pull it out, it then gets fresh, very coarsely cracked pepper and the juice of a lemon. And the lemon and the manchego and the Parmesan. And Peyton was the one who taught me how to do that. And I am, I will always remember him for that. And hats off to him. I'm going to try that. I don't have a pizza oven. I have a regular oven. So it's not going to be the same. Yeah. But, but I'm going to do my best. What kind of tomatoes do you use when you put tomato on it? San Marzano uh, tomatoes. And I, I just use the straight canned tomatoes with no salt. And I put them in the food processor for 30 seconds or so just to, to whiz them up. The oven is so hot. One of the things I've realized recently was to use less tomato sauce rather than more. If you use a small enough amount, it actually cooks in the oven and makes that wonderful sweetness you get from roasted tomatoes, you get that from the tomato sauce. If you put too much on, then you're really going to just get the taste of the tomato sauce. But if it's a thin enough layer, it makes that transition and really adds to the, the sweetness and the wonderful sort of smokiness of the pizza. Okay, you've made me hungry now. Time to go. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So you are you're cooking with code? And you're cooking with pizzas, and I'm assuming you're still making chocolate. This is wonderful. I recently bought an ice cream maker, so I've been making ice cream. <laughs> Uh-oh, I love it. Nothing like COVID to get you cooking more. Tim, you are one of my favorite people in the whole wide world. I learned something from you every time we talk. You're so generous and so kind and just so much fun. So I really want to thank you. Tim Standing, you are the lead Mac software developer for all of the OWC products. As I keep saying, it's not just me, it's the team. 
It's everyone who works for me. We work really hard. They're really smart people. I just hired a new programmer, Brando, and he is teaching me a ton. So it's really important for me, I think, for everyone to keep learning. And the people who I have on my team, they're really conscientious. They're really detail-oriented. They're always finding new things. I love my job. And I love it because of the people who work for me. You know, that team is incredible. I love my OWC family quite a bit. So I, what I tell you guys every week, get up off your chairs, go do something wonderful today. He's Tim Standing. I'm Serena Catania. And I want to thank everyone at Otherworld Computing, OWC. Go to maxsales.com, rummage around, go to Rocket Yard, the blog, rummage around. And thank you all so much for supporting what we do here on OWC Radio. I'm going to say goodbye for now. This is Serena Catania signing off. Mm -hmm.